If you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 to the 24th verse. We'll begin there, all right? Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 begins and says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And to every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. If you'll bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you one more time here this morning. Thanking you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thanking you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you, Lord, for our church family and each one that's come this way. We thank you, Lord, maybe more so this morning than we have in a long time. We're grateful for the roof that we have over our heads uh, and the place that you've given us to gather into. And we're thankful for the nation that we live in and the freedom that we have to openly gather here without fear of persecution. But we thank you most of all this morning for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and that you give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. We can't even do enough to, to, to repay you. We can't even thank you enough, uh, Lord. But you knew all of that already, and you've done it anyways. That's how much you love us. And so, Lord, we just pray here this morning, uh, Lord, that even though we can't thank you enough and we can't praise you enough, I pray that we have nothing on our lips but praise and glory for you because you alone are worthy of it. And I just simply pray this morning as we go forward in our service, you know every heart here. There is nothing that is hidden from you. So, Lord, my prayer is, is that you as the searcher of hearts, God, that you would meet every need that is here this morning that you'd lift us up and that you'd encourage us, that you'd draw us near to you. God, that you'd convict us of where we fall short. Lord, if there's any among us that is uh, uh, that has fallen away, any that are backslidden, any that are lost and undone, any that are just not where they ought to be with you. God, I pray that today you'd pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon them. And God, that you wouldn't give them any peace until they would repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. And so, Lord, I just pray here this morning. God, moved by your sweet Holy Spirit, have your way and your will here in our midst, and we'll give you all the glory for it. And, Lord, let me ask one last thing. I need your help this morning. I can't preach unless you give it to me. Right? I got nothing to say on my own. Uh, so, Lord, I'm asking that you'd clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. And God, that you'd place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to speak here this morning. And Lord, that each one would know that they have not just heard from me, but they've heard from you. Lord, that it's from you through my spirit to their spirit. And God, we'll be sure and we will shout and we will give you all the glory because we love you. We worship you. 
We praise your holy name. And we ask it all here this morning in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Now, let me start out by saying, those of you that are in my Wednesday night Bible study class, I knew that this was inevitable. Studying through the book of Matthew, I knew there would be times where it would overlap and it would coincide with my preaching. I, in my own power as much as I can, try to avoid that. Uh, but uh, sometimes God will just burden your heart with something, uh, and I've got to do what the Lord wants me to do. And so anyways, uh, we haven't got to this point yet in our Bible study. We're not quite there yet, but we will be there in a few weeks, so this can be just a little bit of a, a preview, I guess, or maybe give you some things to think about getting ready for them. But anyways, as we look here and you look at Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Right, that's Jesus', that's the first sermon that we have recorded, or big sermon that we have recorded, is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and in here, what I've read to you is where Jesus is wrapping things up. Now, if we were to back up in this chapter just a little bit, we can see how Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount. And he ends it with what I would refer to, or what some refer to, as three great contrasts. You can see, actually, four sets of two in this starting, I don't know, about verse... 13 or so on to the end of the chapter you can see there's four sets of two but it's really three great contrasts right and the reason he makes these contrasts is that's a uh, I guess you would say that's a strategy right that he uses in order to show us that we need to make a decision right so the contrasts are between the broad way and the narrow way right that's where he talks about uh, you know straight is the gate Right, So the first contrast is between a broad way leading to hell and a narrow way, a straight path uh, leading to heaven. The second contrast that we see in that next block of scriptures is between true prophets and false prophets, right? And then the third one, right, which I just read to you, is the between the house that was built on a rock versus the house that was built on the sand, right? And each one of them, right, it's the same point, and he's just hammering it, you know, again and again and again, right? And it is, there needs to be a decision made, right? And so when I think about that, how many of us has heard what God has had to tell us and when I say when what God has had to tell us, I'm talking about through His Word, right? The Bible, right? That's a, that is the primary way that God speaks to us. Now, He may use His messengers, but I promise you it will line up with His Word. If it does not line up with His Word, the Bible, if it does not line up with it, then it is not God that is giving the message. It is not God that is speaking. And so anyways, I, the, my question is, is how many times, how many of us have heard what God has to tell us, but then we don't go and live it. And what is the result, right? Those of you that have been down this road and have lived life long enough to experience some things, what is the result every single time we go against God in His Word? Well, the answer is simple. Disaster. Destruction. Broken homes. Right, the comparison he's given here, right, is a home that's a house that's built on a rock that stands, and one that's built on the sand. And great is the fall of it, right? So, uh, so what is the result? Right, disaster, destruction, broken homes, destroyed lives. Now, I think one one question that probably 
you should ask yourself with every sermon that you hear, and it's a question that every preacher should address uh, at some point in the sermon, is why bring this up, right? Why are you talking about this? Why are you pointing out what may seem like the obvious to some of us and to other of us may seem like nonsense or something? I don't know. Uh, Why bring this up? Well, the answer is really simple, right? Why bring it up is because God doesn't want you to have the, the home that's fallen down. He doesn't want you to have the life that is falling apart. But even more simple than that is because God wants you to go to heaven one day, right? He tells us in his word that, uh, that it's his will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? So God wants all of us to go to heaven one day and live there with him forever, right? And specifically, God wants you to have, I like to use this phrase, and let me take a minute to explain it, an eternal, abundant life, okay? That's God's will. That's God's desire for every one of us is an eternal, abundant life. Let me show you. I get a lot of that from John chapter 10, okay? John chapter 10, verse 10 is a, is a, is a verse that we probably all know well, and it's the thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy, right? First half of the verse lays out, what Satan's premise is, what it is that Satan is up to, what he desires to do. He is a thief, and the only reason that he has come is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Who is it? What is it he's looking to steal, kill, and destroy? Well, it is you, right? It is your soul. It is your family. It is your loved ones uh, that he is after. And then the second half of that verse is Jesus giving his premise, the reason that he is here. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Right? That's where the abundant comes from, right? If you look up abundantly, abundantly means more than one would normally expect or anticipate, right? So abundant is more than what you were expecting, more than what you were anticipating. So in other words, the life that God has for us is rich. It is full. It is satisfying. It is, in other words, it is more than we ever thought that it could be. That is the life that God has for us. In other words, uh, what I'm trying to say is with Christ, uh, life here on earth, I'm not talking about forever afterwards, I'm talking about right now for a minute. Life here on earth can reach a much higher quality than what we had previously imagined was possible. Now let me let me make sure that we're clear that we're talking about the same life here, right? This is Spirit, I'm speaking spiritually here, right? Of course, life in Christ is a spiritual life, right? It is full of spiritual blessings and spiritual riches, right? And it is much more, right? Whenever you enter into that relationship and start to experience that kind of life, it is definitely abundant, right? It's much more than what we anticipated or expected or really even thought was possible, right? And now, this word life in John chapter 10, verse 10, it's referring to eternal life. Right? You go a little farther in John chapter 10 to verses 27 and 28, and Jesus says there, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about eternal life. Right? Jesus came to give us an abundant life that is eternal. That's what I mean when I say an eternal, abundant life. Life. Eternal means forever. Here, here's what I wanted to get at real quick. 
just simply because I think that sometimes we think about this wrong. This life that the Lord has for you, it doesn't start when you die. It can start right now, today. Right? As a matter of fact, that is exactly what God wants. You don't have to continue to live in a house that is falling down all around you, right? Uh, Look back at our scripture, right? You don't have to continue to live in that house that is falling down. There is a better way. There is a better house. Now, let's look at our scriptures just for a minute because there's three things he talks about. He talks about a house, he talks about a rock, and he talks about the sand. And he is not talking about a physical building when he's talking about the house. When he's talking about a rock, he is not talking about a physical rock that you would find on the ground or in the ground. And when he's talking about sand, he's not talking about sand. Uh, Sand does not refer to sand that's like at the beach or by the seashore or in the creek or anything like that. The house represents something. It's our life. That's what he's talking about. When you read this passage of scripture, every time he's referring to the house, he's referring to a person's life. And then the rock, right? So so the builder builds a house. You're the builder. You're building a house. You're building a life. And you've got two choices, right? Remember, this whole part of this chapter, he's bringing this thing home, right? He's trying to uh, nudge us in the direction of realizing that we've got to make a decision. And you are building a house. You are building a life. You might be screwing it up and making a mess of it, but you're still building one. And you have got, there is only two choices. You're either building it on the rock or you're building it on the sand. Well, what is the rock? The rock is Jesus. And it is His gospel, His word, the message, right? Uh, which, which, now think about this, right? The idea is, if you read this, there's a parallel account of this in Luke. If you read this in Luke, I can't remember where at right now, chapter 6 or 7, something like that. But if you read this in Luke, it actually says that the builder digs down until he gets to a rock, until he gets a solid rock. We think of that like bedrock. You know, he digs down until he gets a solid rock, bedrock. And then he pours his foundation. Then he begins to build off of that. So the idea with the rock is that it doesn't move. It doesn't change. It is stable, right? What do we know about God? What's one of the attributes of God? Right? He is, he is, he, he's unchanging. Right? He doesn't move. He doesn't waver. He does not change in any way. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can count on that. Now the sand. What happens with the sand? Sand is constantly moving. What does the sand represent? It represents the constantly moving ways of the world. Uh, think about it this way. You might say, well, what do you mean? What do you mean the constantly moving ways of the world? Well, think about it just a minute. What's the world like, right? It's constantly changing its mind. It's, it, it is filled with constant changing expert advice, opinions, teachings, 
sayings or what they call wise sayings, right? It's filled with that, right? Think about it. Think about what the smartest, supposedly the smartest men say today. It's not what they said 50 years ago. And it's not what they said 100 years ago. It is constantly changing, right? Uh, the whole idea, right? It's always changing. It's continually moving and shifting with whatever the culture of the day is, the changing times, right? It's the evolving opinions, fads, whatever the current view of what is right and wrong happens to be. Listen to me. What the world says is right and wrong is not the same thing that it said 20 years ago was what is right and wrong. It is the sands, right? So he's saying you've got the choice. You can build your house, your life, on either the rock, which does not change. It is eternally the same, always has been the same. Or you can build it on the ways of the world, which is the shifting sand, which changes all the time. In other words, an analogy that he uses. You can build your life on a foundation that will never fail. Right? That's what the moving represents, that it will never fail. The reason is, is that so matter, so it does not matter then if your house, if your life is built on that foundation, on that rock, it doesn't matter how bad the storms of life get. It, it, it doesn't matter what the world throws at you because your house will still be standing. Or you can build it on the shift, shifting sands of the world and it will constantly be moving. And you know what it'll do? Right? If we take the physical analogy of a building for a minute, right? Whenever it's not on a good foundation, it's not, you know where they've not dug down and found something solid before they poured the foundation, things shift and things move. And what does it do to that old house? It tears it apart. If you build your life on the world and the ways of the world, it will tear your life apart. It will constantly be moving, ripping it apart, crumbling, falling down all around you. Now, I want you to notice that in this set of scriptures, the point uh, is made that you are going to build, that if you are going to build on the rock, you must do two things. Can I, it's right here in this first verse. Let me read it to you again. Verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will make him like a wise man which built his house upon a rock. What do you got to do to build your house upon the rock? You got to hear, right? Jesus says these teachings are mine, right? The sermon that I've just preached, my word. You've got to hear and you've got to do. So let me take just a moment to talk about just how important those two things are. That's what you've got to do, and you've got to do both of them. You have got to hear and you've got to do. First of all, hear, right? It is important to hear the Word of God. It is infinitely important. It is more important than what you even realize or even me. What we realize it is. I, I picked the scriptures that Sister Diana read uh, for our scripture reading intentionally because of this point. 
The last verse she said was, or she read was Romans 10, 17. This is one of those verses in your Bible that you need to know or mark or write down somewhere. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is how faith comes. The Bible gives no other option on how faith comes. That is how it comes. In other words, that is how our faith grows. We underestimate how important it is for us to hear the Word of God. When I say hear the Word of God, I mean hear it read. I mean hear it taught. I mean hear it preached. Because faith cometh by hearing, not by experience. That's the mistake that we make. We think because of our experiences in life, the things that we have gone through, right? The things that we have seen with our eyes, right? We think that is faith or that, that builds our faith. It does not. It may, may, may help us make us stronger as a Christian, but that is not faith. Faith is the opposite of that, right? Faith is hearing and doing without seeing or it's believing. That's a better way to say it. Faith is believing without seeing. Faith comes by hearing, not by experience. As a matter of fact, what I've just tried to say to you is experience is the opposite of what faith is. Uh, here's a second scripture that you need to know, you need to mark, you need to write down, uh, is Hebrews 10.25. And I'm going to put this with this. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, the forsaking of, or the assembling of ourselves together is what we're doing right here. When we assemble together in the name of the Lord in order to worship Him, in order, for his, in order to sing praises to Him and hymns, right? In order, spiritual songs, in order to teach His Word, in order to preach His Word, in order to share testimonies and things like that, in order to fellowship together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, right? The Word is clear. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're not to stop doing that. And it goes on to say, as a matter of fact, the more you see the day approaching, Right? That's the end times. That's the coming of the Lord. The more you see that coming, the more you need to be getting together. The more you need to be assembling. The more you're going to need uh, one another. And the more you're going to need the, the spiritual strength that can only come from corporately worshiping together. That means as a group. Yes, we can worship on our own and we should worship on our own. But it is not the same as when a group of believers get together, right? You think Jesus was just throwing random numbers around when he says two or th when two or three are gathered in my name? No, there is something special God does when at least two or three of his believers come together for that purpose. That's why God gave us the structure of the church in our lives, in the command to faithfully attend its meetings. Because the reason he did that was not just something arbitrary, not just because he said, oh, well, they're, they're going to get bored, or, oh, well, I just need to give them busy work, because if I don't give them busy work, then they're going to get in trouble, right? I mean, he's not a first-grade teacher, or a third-grade teacher, or a fifth-grade teacher. No, he knew what he was doing, and he had a specific reason why that he... That, that he told us to do this, instructed us to do this, because it is fundamental to our faith, to our spiritual health and our spiritual growth. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
And listen to me. Fellowship is an important part of that. And it worries me today. Uh, there is a lot of good things because that can be done because of modern technology. But having church on TV, the radio, or the computer screen, that's not really one of them. Yes, that is fantastic for somebody who is shut in and there is no way uh, that they can gather together. Yes, absolutely. Praise the Lord that there's a way for them to at least get a little bit. But it ain't the same thing. And it ain't even close to the same thing as actually gathering together, right? One another and worshiping corporately together, right? It's not the same thing. And then one other verse that you need that goes with this hearing that if you don't know it, you need to know it, you need to mark it, you need to write it down, underline it, highlight it, whatever. And that's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study, right? Study in this verse means to be diligent, to work hard, right? And we must work hard to read and to study uh, the scriptures for ourselves, rightly dividing the word of truth. That literally means cut the road straight, right? In other words, correctly handle the scriptures, right? Rightly dividing the word of truth. And by doing so, we're going to be checking out those things that we hear preachers preaching and teachers teaching, right? Those things that, that we have heard that were taught and they were preached. As a matter of fact, I'll just read it to you real quick. That's exactly what the, uh, what the Christians and Berea did. In Acts chapter 17 and verse, uh, verse 11, uh, it says here, uh, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Right? So the saints at Berea that Paul and Silas were ministering to, right, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Uh, he, says, he says noble, meaning, you know, fair-minded, uh, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They checked out what they were hearing, right? You hear the word of God, you, and then when you hear it preached and taught, they were checking it out. So, one, it is utterly, I can't overemphasize how important it is to hear the word of God. And then the other thing, if you're going to be the wise man, or the wise person building their house, their life, on the solid rock, it's not enough just to hear. You also need to do. What good, think about it, let's, let, let us just reason for a moment. What good does it? What good does it do if we only hear the word of God and do not apply what we have heard to our lives? I like what James says in James chapter 1, verse 22, when he says, uh, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Right? Be doers of the word, not hearers only, because if you're hearers only, you're deceiving your own selves. In other words, it, when we don't apply what we've heard to our lives, right? Talking about the word of God, when we do not apply what we've heard to our lives, we are just fooling ourselves, right? We are deceiving our own selves. Think about this for a second. What good does it to hear and then not allow it to work in us and change our lives? 
What good does it do to hear that Jesus saves and then not accept the salvation that he offers? Listen to me, hearing alone won't do it. What good does it do to hear that the blood of Jesus will wash away all your sins and then not allow that blood to be applied to your life? to your heart, and to wash away your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What good does it do to hear that Jesus will pay your sin debt and then not turn that debt over to Him? What good does it do to hear about the new heart that God will give you, but then you won't accept it when He offers it to you? What good does it do to hear about the changes that Jesus can make and will make if you let Him in your life and then refuse to follow Him and instead you go out and you live the same old miserable life that you were already living? Really? What good does it do to hear the wonderful news of Jesus and his life-changing message and then not go out and live it? What good? What good does it do for me to stand up here and preach the word to you and at the best of my ability to cut that road straight, to rightly divide it, to, to shoot straight and tell you like it is, regardless. Regardless of what, my, what you might think or what kind of repercussions I might have. What good does it do if you only hear and you don't go out and do it? Listen to me. God is wanting He's wanting you to build that house on the rock. Trust me, there is storms coming. If you've not already faced them, you will face them. And the only way that your life that you're going to stand, that you're going to weather the storm and make it through it is if your foundation is on that solid rock. Glory, hallelujah. Praise God for the day that he reached down and he picked me up out of the miry clay and he set me on the solid rock and established my ways and goings. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise his holy name. He'll do the same for you. I'm begging you this morning, if you're not firmly, uh, firmly building on that rock, I'm begging you. You don't have to keep on building on the sand. You can make a change today. You can turn things around today. Listen to me. That, e that eternal abundant life He has for you, if you're not already living it, you can start today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait a moment longer. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar. I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come this morning? You got a need, you got a burden, would you come this morning? Whatever it is, maybe, maybe God's been talking to you, right? Maybe there's some things that He's been dealing with you about. Uh, listen, here's a good place that we've got. that we This altar here, we've set it aside for just this purpose, right? This is a good place to come and meet with the Lord. Maybe there's some things you need to come up here and you need to lay down. Right? Maybe, maybe it's there's some people that God's burdened your heart with and you need to be praying for them. Would you come and pray?
whatever the need is, whatever the burden is here this morning. Maybe God's been dealing with you about your own situation. Maybe, maybe you've been hearing the word for a while, but you've not been doing. Right? Maybe you know the truth and you've been hearing the truth, but you've been building on the sand, right? You've been building on the ways of the world. Well, now's the time to change that. You've got an opportunity right now to change that. And I'm begging you, don't you worry what other people think. It don't matter what they think. You just come on. Whatever the need is here this morning, would you come? Would you come?